Hello, everyone. This is Dwayne Newstater with Tree Actions, the Human Forestry Podcast. And here with us today, and oh, of course, we have Tony with me. And also <laughs> with us today is Rude Vandeven from, I guess nowadays you're residing out in uh, beautiful Gananoque area, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's correct. I used to be in Newmarket for like 35 years. And uh, we uh, we decided to make a change, and it's quite wow. the change. <laughs> that is quite a different uh, landscape and terrain, and and quite beautiful. I've only been out there one time, and uh, maybe you could just tell us, give everyone an idea. How would you how do you describe that area of Canada, Gananoque area? Uh, we're uh, uh, we're just right at the St. Lawrence River. Uh, we're Due north, about two, two and a half, three kilometers from the St. Lawrence River. The Thousand Islands is out there, and it's absolutely beautiful. Um, uh, we're on a bit of farmland. We've got 35 acres. Um, it's relatively flat around here, but uh, when you go a little bit further north, there's some hills starting. The, the, the Canadian Shield starts up there, and you've got a lot of forests. But here, yeah. uh, we're on a bit of clay, and um, it's good farmland. Um, lots of people are growing corn, soybeans, uh, stuff like that. And lots of cattle here too. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's really nice. It's a, quite a different, uh, different, uh, uh, atmosphere here than living in, in town in Newmarket, which is just North of Toronto, great big metropolis. Yeah. Um, you know, Newmarket had 90,000 people here. We have, uh, 9,000 people in the county. Um, wow. so <laughs> quite the change yes it's quite the change if, if there's five cars on the road it's busy mm-hmm. so it's 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 nice so well that's interesting you know you know you know you're obviously in the the you know the retirement phase of your career or or in that sort of stage but how did it all get started for you where like did you know you were going to be an arborist or, or how did it how did the how did the journey into the trees begin for Rude Vandeman um, I'm originally from Holland. Um, I had two years of horticultural college in Holland, and I got exposed to a little bit of uh, arboriculture there, but more more so the growing of trees, um, okay. growing of flowers and, and vegetables and stuff like that. Um, and then we came to Canada, um, where I went to Humber College, and I took uh, took the landscape technology program over there. And uh, in the second year, you could choose between construction or uh, arboriculture. And uh, I wasn't much of a construction guy. So I thought, you know, arboriculture sounds pretty cool. And uh, that's when I started climbing trees. And it's kind of a, a bug. Once you catch it, it's, it's, it's hard to get rid of it. Um, I still remember the first tree that I went up, a great big mass of sugar maple. And uh, it was pretty cool. Um, so we, uh, it just, that's where it started. Um, and, uh, my, my teacher there was Lewis Arnold. Um, and, uh, he really, he really inspired his students to, uh, to do the right thing and, and to do the climbing. And most of the guys that were in that class and girl, no, no, we didn't have any guys in the class back then or girls in the class back then. It was all guys. Uh, most of those guys are still in our boar culture, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So, so you got your would you would you get a, the apprenticeship was it at the time or a diploma? 
No, it was a diploma program. Uh, and the, apprenticeship, the apprenticeship program, this was the early 80s, uh, no, okay. late, late 70s. I, I graduated in 79. So okay. the apprenticeship program hadn't even been thought of. Um, uh, Ian Bruce had started working on some... Uh, uh, some program uh, like an, uh, an apprenticeship style program for uh, for arborists and that was in about 82 83 something like that um, and then that that kind of it kind of went from there so it, wow. the apprenticeship program has been around for a while and I've been involved with it for for a long time too teaching and helping develop curriculum and yeah. stuff like that so so how did the how would what, what would you say the world of agriculture was like like in 1980, you know you know like for you like what were you climbing on what what you know what what was a day what would the day of tree work look like in 1980? Um, it, 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 there was not a lot of equipment out there. Uh, we had a basic saddle. Uh, we climbed on taut line hitch. Um, we did. I did start with uh, Manila rope. Uh, didn't last very long. Our Arborplex was just coming out, um, so we were we switched from Manila rope to Arborplex, which was a godsend. <laughs> wow. And uh, I mean, we climbed on taut line hitch. That was really the only friction hitch that we had back then. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and it was a lot of free climbing, you know, you get into the tree with a bit of a ladder and then you start climbing up all the way up to the top to your, your tying point, And that's where you tied in as opposed to right. what it is now, you know, you put your rope in and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it was just a rope saddle, handsaw, pole pruner, and that was it. Um, did you, did you use a lanyard? Do you remember? We, I used to lanyard a bit, yeah, uh, but not for not for climbing, just for for positioning in the tree. Yeah, um, yeah. It, that's really what the lanyard was for. Um, either that or tie your chainsaw onto it. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, it, it seems like a common theme because I, you know, I started a little later than you. It was it would have been like eighty eight, so it was like eight years behind you, but. I was, it was, it's been a common theme that we keep hearing. And I, I think it, it holds true in, in the United States and Canada, where it's like back in the day, I guess you could say it was, it was get in the tree and you went up yeah. to the top and tied in. Like, yeah. and I remember being told, like, you tie in, if you need to cut something, you know, you either put your lanyard on, you hold on real good. So you got three points of contact, and your feet <laughs> and hand counted. Yeah. And you make, but you only do what you needed to do on the way up because you needed to get in and tie it in. That, you know, that, otherwise you were unsafe. But, yes. that, but no one ever <laughs> talked about being unsafe getting up there. No, no. And, and I remember, I remember we were at Forest Hill one time and the ladder, we had a 30 foot wooden ladder. Yeah. Um, and this thing was wobbly as anything. And it stood up in the tree and there was another, oh, about 15, 20 feet to go to the first limb. So you climb up to the top of the ladder and you don't really put your lanyard around. No, you start climbing. You start bear hugging this tree all the way up to the first limb. Yep. And you, 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 you kind of climb on there and uh, that's when you kind of start climbing into the crown of the tree. But I mean, yep. for 15, 20 feet, you're 40, 50 feet up. You're not tied in. You're just bear hugging this tree for dear life. You know, yep. you better not let go because you're done. Yeah, and and that so, would be like a pretty 
regular occurrence. That would have been a fairly regular occurrence. And that was the early 80s. Um, you know, it, here in Ontario, we only just... In 75, they finally got the, the, the uh, Occupational Health and Safety Act out, uh, the Green Book. And uh, it's only been in place for maybe five, five, six years. So there was really no enforcement. There were no rules. It, it, everybody just did what they needed to do to get the job done. So, right, right. And, and there wasn't a whole lot of tree companies out there either. Um, you know, you had probably in Toronto area... I would say maybe six or seven, maybe ten uh, wow. at the most when I started. And I mean, that's it's a lot different now. There's probably close to about four or five hundred out there. Right. And and was it you know climbing versus airlifts? Like aerial lifts weren't even near what they are today, were they? Oh no no no! I mean, we you know you couldn't afford an aerial lift, and nobody 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 had an aerial lift except for for the utilities when uh, when uh, you had to do utilities. That was really the biggest thing uh, for for those guys. But even those guys, they still did a lot of climbing. Yeah. Like I I I've worked for a company called Arbo Service, and and it was a Quebec Quebec outfit uh, yeah. that would have been late eighties. And they had all kinds of training manuals to show how you could tie a ladder onto your truck so that you, that you climb up the ladder to get closer to the wires, to, to get closer to the tree, to make your pruning cuts. No bucket trucks, but wow. you, know, you, set your, you set the bottom of your, your ladder up against the tire of the tree, of the tire of the truck, and then you have some ropes tied to the, to the box of the truck, and up you go. So yeah. I mean, yeah, it was it was crazy. I never did that, but <laughs> it was that was in their training manual. Mm-hmm. So Rude, Rude, I it, wonder what what what. Oh, go ahead, Tony. I just wonder, Rude, like having started at that point, when did you start to see the shift towards more what we would recognize today as, um, as safe climbing practice? That would have been sort of in the nineties. Um, there's more, more equipment came out, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of different kinds of rope came out. Uh, you know, Arborplex was probably one of the first ones that we saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, then this different companies started making different kinds of ropes. Uh, we had a local company in, in Pefferla, uh, which is just North of Newmarket that was making ropes and, uh, we were trying their ropes and they were not too bad. They were pretty good, but we ultimately switched back to the, the Arborplex. <laughs> right. Um, and you know, you got different saws, lighter saws, uh, lighter chainsaws and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we got the chainsaw pants. I forget now when chainsaw pants came in. Um, it would have been sort of the mid nineties, maybe the early nineties. Yeah. Um, and, uh, safer climbing techniques came in. Uh, we had to start climbing. You had to be tied in all the time, uh, with a munter hitch and, and stuff like that. So you put a rope in and you had somebody at the bottom bling you to go up. So no more free climbing that really started to happen in the, in the, in the early nineties, I guess. Um, and then, uh, we had the big ice storm in just the winter of, 98 to 99 i believe um here in in ottawa montreal where all the towers came down and trees came down and all that and everybody and his brother that had a chainsaw came to ottawa to cut trees and do tree work and uh chip brush there was was, i think it was 11 or 12 fatalities uh just that winter alone and uh 
Ministry of Labor kind of had said already, you know, you guys are not very safe. You're killing yourself. And this was sort of the end of it. And Ministry of Labor came to the industry and said, oh, you know, you guys are killing yourself. You better do something. So, or we're going to we're going to do something for you. <laughs> right. So um, we got together and, and uh, that's how we ended up with uh, uh, creating the Arbor Safe Work Practices. Um, it was it was done in the span of about a year and a half to two years, not even not even two years. I think it was a year and a half. And we had the Arbor Safe first first edition of the Arbor Safe Work Practices. So which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And from then on, like. Things changed really quickly after that, and I mean now it's just it's just crazy. Um, you know, it's good. Um, everybody's trying different things, doing different things, but it tends to be doing it safely. Um, yeah. You know, try, trying stuff. I, I remember that from I, I had started. I was working at Olds College at the time. I started there in '93, and started the Arbus Diploma Run in '95. And when that ice storm hit, all my students wanted to go to the ice storm. They wanted to go <laughs> out and help, right? Yeah. And I, you know, I'd learned enough. I, I, I didn't allow them to go, and they were really mad at me because I wasn't being Canadian, you know, by helping out. And I said, you know, you guys aren't close to ready to deal with what you you might go die. Yeah. You know, like literally, like you're going to be entering into a very dangerous work environment. But it's going to be so great learning. It'd be so much fun. I said, I said, I don't, I just flat out didn't support it. And I, I yeah. took some flack over it, you know, but, but I knew that I said, there's going to be people getting really hurt in those trees because yeah. it's, there's a lot going to be going on, but uh, oh yeah, it was a pretty pivotal thing. It's always interesting how um, catastrophe, particularly fatality, you know, creates change, you know, it, it, it's, it's it's sad too, you know, that it takes that type of you know, but it, it applies so in so many things. Like even they, like they won't put traffic lights up till enough people die. Like the yeah. first, there's got to be enough bad collisions, and then they put a stop sign, and then if it keeps happening, well, then we better put lights up. But like you got to have real bad shit happen before we do something about it. You can't be preemptive, you know. Have you noticed? You know, it, it's it seems to be like that in the tree industry, isn't it? Maybe in any oh, industry. I, I I bet you it's probably like that in any industry. Uh, you know, when we started doing the safe work practices, this was through uh, Farm Safety and which is now WSPS, the Workplace Safety and Prevention Services, and and Farm Safety would deal with any kind of farm, uh, you know, livestock, sheep, uh, fishing industry, uh, everything. And, and when we started putting this to the safe work practice together, uh, they were all saying, you know, these are similar, similar uh, issues that we have in other industries, in mushroom growing, in fishing, in, in livestock industry. Um, you know, and, and ultimately they ended up taking what we had built with the safe work practice, the, the, that model, and they applied it in a couple of other uh, industries. Uh, within within the farming industry, so it's just which is pretty cool. But yeah, you're right. I mean, this this there's similar similarities between industries. It doesn't matter where what you do. Um, it's 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 the same, but it's different. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you're 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 commenting a lot on, you know, you got all the acronyms down and all the committees names, like what they used to be called, what they're called now, and it made me think about. You know how much 
volunteering you've actually done like I, I you you know I've I've met you and gotten to know you because of your efforts in volunteering you know for the industry in the industry yeah and I'm, I'm just wondering like what what inspired you or what is it about Rude or you that that wants to give back to the human force because you don't you know it's a labor of love. It has to be because as we all know, we don't get paid for these this committee work, you know, <laughs> no. so, and yet we give an immense amount of time and you're a great example of that. So what, what's, what, why does Ruud Vandeven give back so much and has over the years? Um, I don't know if there, if there is any specific reason, but, uh, you know, I, I ran uh, a small tree care company, Arbor Valley urban forestry company. And we started that in, in 85, um, and, uh, I, it was, I was just by myself and had two other guys working for me. So, you know, you have, you have not a lot of connections with anybody else. And, uh, I'd been a member for, from ISA, uh, since 82, um, and, uh, also with the Ontario Shade Tree Council and, and I got involved in there, uh, which is a little bit different than the ISA, but, uh, it's it's just the connections within the industry. It's nice to be able to talk to people like yourself, like Tony, um, you know, and 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 learn from other people's mistakes. And and when you're when you're small, uh, when you're a small outfit, uh, it's difficult to learn anything else. Uh, you make your own mistakes, and oh, I, this is working, and then uh, you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, and it's really not the right thing to do, and you're making the same mistake all the time. But if you talk <laughs> to someone else, then all of a sudden you get to realize that hey, you know, I might be doing something, could do something a little bit differently, and uh, I mean that's that's probably the biggest reason for me to to help out as a volunteer. Uh, and yeah, you don't get paid for it. But um, I, I got to learn, I got to know a lot of people all across this globe uh, yeah. that, that work in arboriculture. Oh, you know, that's how you and I met, um, yeah. you know, uh, years and years and years ago. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I was, I was involved with uh, certification, ISA certification. I still am yeah. um, on the credentialing board till August, I think. Okay. So, and that's, that's my last kick at the cat for that. Uh, Cause I was, <laughs> I started there for, I did six years, probably in 2011, I think I started or 2010. Yeah. I did, did two terms and then they, they had me back for another, another three year term. Uh, so, uh, which is, which is nice. And, and, and it's, it, it gives me, gives you a chance to, to help everybody. Uh, not just myself, but everybody. And that's just sort of in my nature. I, I, I don't know. Um, I like to help people. Do you feel there was anyone in your, you know, either growing up or in your early days learning about arboriculture that, that was an inspiration to you? Or can you think back to people that inspired you to be like that? Um, yeah, like I said, like I, the one guy I mentioned before, Lewis Arnold, he was probably one of the biggest influences in getting me started in, in arboriculture. Um, and through him, I got to know a few other guys, uh, one, you know, being Ian Bruce. I mean, I think just about everybody knows Ian Bruce. Um, and then another gentleman, and he's long past now, uh, his name is Al Sellers. 
Um, and um, when I started in this industry, he was just sort of retiring. Um, and, uh, you know, we would go and, and visit him, uh, usually, usually around lunchtime and, oh, come sit down, have a sandwich, um, you know, and he'd talk about trees. And by the time we're done talking about trees, oh, geez, it's four o'clock. It's, we better go back and do some work. (laughs) (laughs) So, and, and those people, you know, they, they love talking about trees and love their job. And that's, that's kind of where I got where I got the bug, you know, so, so, um, you know, and I, 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 I enjoy those types of conversations and those interactions as well. I'm curious if you could think of anything in particular, what was his name? Al Sellers. Al Sellers. Yeah. What, what, is there a lesson that you can remember where, where that sticks out in your mind, a story or something that he told you that he taught you? Um, Nothing in particular. Just, just this gentleman. Um, he was he was a consultant. He was a consulting arborist, um, oh, wow. and um, you know, before he passed away, like him and I used to have big conversations, um, and and uh, about doing arboricultural consulting. And and the biggest thing that he taught me he says, you know, as a consultant, it doesn't matter how many pieces of paper you have. You yeah. kind of have to prove yourself, especially if you're in a court situation uh, where you have to testify and stuff like that. You have to prove yourself as an expert. And that comes from you, not from a piece of paper. That comes from you from down into your, your soul and into your heart. Um, okay. and, and that's sort of what I've, I've gone with all my, my career and, yeah. and uh, trying to you know, get, get the message about trees across. Um, you know, as, as an arborist and a, and a company owner, I mean, you sell work and stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's a big part of it. But to me, the biggest part is, is teaching people how trees grow and why we do what it is that we do to trees. Um, and, uh, uh, he kind of, he kind of sort of instilled that into me and, and that's, that's stuck with me my, my whole career and I'm still doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, teaching, teaching people, teaching other people. Um, I'm mentoring a young, a young man from uh, Niagara School of Horticulture who wants to, wants to get into our boriculture. And he's just starting out. He's 23. He's just at yeah. the beginning of his career. He's looking for work in the industry. And it's great to give him some advice um, on, on a little bit of direction. Uh, yeah. I, I would never push anybody in any particular direction. Just... Take what I say for <laughs> with with a grain of salt, or take what you want. And if you don't want to do any of it, that's fine too. I don't care. It's yeah. up to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, 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 but it, but it's an interesting theme of of wanting to help and willing to give without a, a compensation. I think that's one of the the true spirits of volunteerism, in particular, is you know you a desire to help without compensation and. And I and I think if there is any compensation, it's more of a of a spiritual type situation where it's more about you know what you get back mentally or emotionally or spiritually, you know, in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's and that's what it's been for me for for you know volunteering for the ISA and Ontario Shade Tree Council and 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 things like that. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, it makes me makes me feel good. Makes me makes me part feel part of of a of a 
uh, a bigger thing, a bigger community. Um, you know, what I, what I notice, and, and maybe just I'm way off base, but I always notice this at, at ISA conferences. There's very few um, uh, municipal uh, workers at these, these conferences. Some of, the, some of the supervisors are there. Uh, but, you know, having worked in the municipality for about six, seven years, the last uh, seven years of my, my career, um, it's easy to see that, that some of these guys, they get very caught up in, in, in their own little corner of the world. And, and uh, you know, they work for a municipality and it's a job for them. It's not a career. Um, some guys think it's a career, but it's more of a job for them. And uh, you tend to not see them at conferences because they ha- they, they'll have to pay for it themselves. And, uh, you know, they say to me, oh, well, your company paying for it. Well, it's my company and the money has to come from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, if you want to learn something, you, you want to give something back. And uh, I try to instill that on, on some of these guys and it just, it just, a lot of it goes on deaf ears and oh yeah, whatever. Um, and uh, the, you, you'll never see them. You'll never see them, which is unfortunate. It's another part, you know, there is different aspects to the human forest, you know, and that's why I like to call it the human forest because the forest yeah. is, is connected and it is, and we do affect one another. And, uh, you know, I guess you can have, but, but if you're not a part of it, if you're not really a part of it and you're not in it through a season or two, you know, where you're, you know, where you, you watch and witness the leaves fall and drop and, and come back and the, and everything that takes place in the root system and all the connections and sharing of resources and connections with other things like fungus and so on. That's not just tree related. And not only that, but also the, the sharing and the connecting of, of others in the forest like you're talking about a remnant now talking about al Sell- uh al al sellers you know, yes al sellers you know that there there's a you know he his his tree isn't standing but he's still giving back even on this call now he's his name's mentioned and and his energy his his legacy is is, is being passed along yeah. you know and, yeah. and through you through you still and that that i it seems like i agree with you i don't know why I don't want to, you know, you know, dishearten anyone in a municipality because I think it does, there are some, but there does seem to be something about, um, I don't know what the word is, I, but like when it's almost like when things are, uh, I don't know how it works, too easy or too, if it's too easy, it's almost like it's not valued or something yeah. like that, and I sometimes think with the the environment, the the. There's so much provided in the, the municipal environment that you maybe lose the appreciation of it, you know. And, it, and I think it can go too far the other way in a private setting. Like you know, maybe don't get it out. But <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. See, see, for me, you know, I have my job. If you want to call it a job, I mean, you know, I ran my company, and yeah, it was my company, and I did, I did work, uh, but my work never really stopped. Even now, uh, my my love of trees and, and just looking out, um, it never stops. My wife always complains when we go on holidays, all you ever do is look at trees and take pictures of trees. Well, sorry, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's me. Um, and, and, 
that that never goes away. Uh, that job never really disappears. It's it's always there. Um, yeah. Even with me right now, you know, I'm 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 supposed to be retired. Uh, when you retire, never decide to build a house uh, because that's not retirement. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I tell you, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of a good experience. But I still look at trees. Um, you know, my neighbor came across the other day and he's, oh, can you help me prune my apple trees? Yeah, I'll come and help you prune your apple trees. You know, I'll show you how it's done and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, uh, this morning when I was in, in, in Kingston uh, for my physiotherapy, uh, we're on the seventh floor and you're looking out and you can start seeing the trees change in color. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I mentioned that to the therapist. He says, oh, I never really noticed that. He says, well, that's kind of the little things that you notice when you're an arborist. You look at this stuff all the time and yeah. the job yeah. never goes away. You know, and, and uh, you know, it, I, can't, I can't speak for others, but I, I think people, some people in municipality, they treat it as a job. It's nine to five or eight, seven to four or whatever it is. And then they go home and that's it. They, they're with their family and they're, they tend not to um, look at trees in, in that um, sort of in that thing because they don't get paid for it. Um, that, you know, well, I don't get paid to look at trees all the time either. Um, yeah, yeah. it's, uh, it's more of a hobby that I end up getting paid for at some point, which is, uh, which is kind of nice. Maybe that's where the, the love, you know, the, the, the difference between loving, you know, they say when you do what you love, you don't work a day in your life. And you yes. know, those of us that are fortunate enough to, and I, you know, I don't think it happens to just arborists, but when you really find your vocation, I think would yeah. be a term that you could use, where you really are in your wheelhouse, you're 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 connected to what you're doing in a way that that fulfills you and and feeds yeah. you. You, it isn't a work anymore. It's not a job. No. You know. It, yeah. It's, uh, well, I can tell you over over my over my years, I've I've had days where I did not want to do this job anymore. This is this is enough. <laughs> Especially owning a company, you know, you have to deal with with uh, people, you have to deal with employees, and and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's it can get pretty hectic. Um, and then you get outside pressures from from uh, from clients, uh, Oh, got to have this done and that done. And you know, the tree's going to die if you don't do this tomorrow. Well, you know, I mean, it's not quite that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, you would have, you, you know, I've, you've, you've been, I think, well, 79, that's a pretty early start. So you would have seen, you know, the, the whole, uh, transition from, flush cuts and pruning paint, you know, all the way through to, to, you know, Shigo's, you know, uh, traveling roadshow to, to where we are today. <laughs> like how, how, how did that come to bear in your career? What, how do you remember that unfolding and learning about Shigo and, and not well, uh, learning about Shigo was an interesting, interesting thing. I was, I was still in school, um, in, at Humber college in, uh, in my second year and the teacher comes in and he'd just been uh, to one of the ISA Ontario conferences where Alex Shago was talking. And uh, he was, he was uh, talking about CODIT and all that kind of stuff. And the teacher yeah. comes into the classroom and he says, well, you know what I've been teaching you over the last, you know, year, forget about it. Uh, <laughs> none of that is going to happen anymore. No flush cuts, no this, no that. 
And he says, this is what we're going to do. And we had a crash course in, in, uh, in Codit. Um, and that's, uh, that's how we got to learn about Codit, uh, which was uh, very interesting. I mean, we had um, in, in the classroom, uh, we had big uh, uh, tree trunks set up where we could uh, clean out the cavities all the way to good, mm. clean wood. Oh, yeah. And then you put your herringbone pattern in it so that it would drain and all that, that put tar on it, and then you could fill it with concrete. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, that all went by the wayside. And uh, okay. those, those tree trunks came out of there in a heck of a hurry. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, it was interesting. So that's that was my introduction to coded, and it would have been in '79, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it's been said that never before has such long-standing practices been so quickly abandoned as when when Shigo, yeah. particularly with pruning, paint, and flush cutting, and cavity cleaning and filling. Yeah. Well, and, and luckily, I never had to really touch pruning paint. Um, so um, the the old pruning the paint pot on the side of your 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 scabbard and getting paint all over your pants, all over everywhere. Uh, I never had to deal with that. So I'm kind of I'm kind of glad for that. <laughs> yeah. 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 I still, I still have one of those old paint pots, but um, uh, and it had some old paint in it, but it was never really used. Right. So. Yeah, I had one. I found a, a new one at a, a armor supply store. They had one left just way in the back in a, on a shelf, and I can't, but I can't find the dang thing. I don't know what I did with it, but yeah, yeah, it's an interesting era that that was a major shift. You know, and I'm curious. You think like that? That was about ten years, you know, ahead of. The uh, the climbing revolution, I think. Yes. Fair to say, like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, about yeah, about ten years after that, that's when things really started to change. Um, you know, you started working more with with pulleys. Um, we got into uh, when you're doing rigging, we got into speed lining and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that was that was all new stuff that uh, that uh, we got to play with, and then all the new equipment coming in, uh, different saddles and different ropes and and all the little gadgets that go with it. Um, that was never really really my thing. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of people played with that and that's, and, and when you play with it, that's when you get uh, new innovations, um, you know, new things happening and, uh, that's, it, it's, it's good. It's good. But way in the beginning, there was no rules. Everybody was just doing whatever and, um, uh, people were getting hurt, uh, which is not a good thing. So yeah. I, th I think that's much, much less now. People are a lot more aware of what's going on. Uh, equipment is safer, um, and uh, uh, any any new idea is generally researched quite a bit uh, before it it uh, it goes out into the into the general public, so to speak. Um, what do you think was you know we talk about Shigo being kind of a catalyst for change with with pruning in particular, but what what was there a person or any pivotal event that you could identify? In your experience, that 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 created, you know, that that started the change. Like you know, like where where a teacher would come back from an event and go, "Now we're doing it this way." Like, was there anything that occurred in climbing and and tree work that did that, or a person? Um, yeah, I I I don't I I know way in the beginning, um, you know, you had. Um, uh, uh, 
uh, oh, um, rep and, 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 um, those guys, they would, uh, they would bring out some, some new equipment and stuff like that. Um, and that was, it, it went against the grain for a lot of people. Um, and for me, myself included, um, you know, I looked at this stuff, what the hell are these guys doing? This is not safe, you know? Uh, but I, I, that's probably what, what started everything. Um, and, uh, what, what got things going. Was Don Blair doing stuff in Ontario as well? Did Don Blair ever come out? Uh, probably. Um, I, I don't, I don't really remember too much of that. Um, okay. you know, um, I got, I, I wasn't, I wasn't involved with a lot of the equipment stuff. I was more involved at it from a, from a safety, safety end of, uh, end of thing with the Arbor Safe Work Practices. Yeah. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, that's kind of what I was, I was teaching at the, at the college as well. Um, right. the health and, and safety. What about, the, what about the tree climbing competitions? Were they, like, did you feel those? Like, I don't know how involved you were with those. Uh, a little bit, a little bit, not, not a whole lot. Uh, the first competition we had here in Ontario, I think it was in Orangeville. Um, and I, I do remember, uh, that, uh, Ian Bruce had started introducing the, the mantra hitch and, 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 uh, climbing, uh, no, no free climbing allowed. Um, right. and then when the international came to Toronto and I forget now when that would have been, um late 80s early 90s yeah 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 um there was a great big to do about all these american climbers they weren't going to have anything to do with being tied in at all times and being belayed up into the trees oh it was a big thing it was huge um and they had lots of meetings about it and stuff like that so that's that's kind of where where things kind of got started but i never really got too much involved with the with the tree climbing competition just a little bit just on the periphery right right so because at at the time i was i was involved with isa um you know as as a director and uh so I, i didn't have didn't have a lot to do with that particular particular aspect and was your company involved in uh, all aspects? Like, in, like, did you do plant healthcare as well, or was it more? Way back when, uh, just about every tree care company did everything: planting, uh, stump grinding, removals, pruning, uh, plant healthcare. Uh, I mean, you name it, uh, it was done. Now uh, it seems that uh, a lot of companies are very specialized. Uh, you have you have specialized companies that that are very good at doing removals. Um, that are very good at doing just all small tree pruning uh, or larger tree pruning, um, tricky, uh, tricky removals, uh, climbing removals, stuff like that. Uh, I, or, uh, plant healthcare companies. Um, it's a lot of the smaller companies now don't, they, they specialize in something as opposed to doing, doing everything. I mean, we used to do everything, uh, client asked us to do something. Yeah, we can do that. Anything right. for a buck, right? Interesting. So, yeah. So, so that's a trend you've seen. I, because I, 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 I don't remember uh, tree services in my career. You know, I started in like, well, eighty, eighty-eight, eighty-nine. Um, I don't remember there being, even at that time, 
like where especially planting i've always found it curious how planting has always seemed in my experience separate you know it's almost like more the landscapers would hang out more with the nursery guys like even here in alberta yeah. we had the alberta nursery landscape association you know like yeah. landscape alberta you know and even 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 to this day we have the landscape garden apprenticeship program that's become the horticulture apprenticeship program like there was a really strong bent towards the landscape side and on the nursery industry was more tied in with that and that's where all the planting took place and it wasn't until you know the the trees were suffering from from bad planting that the arborists <laughs> got involved you know we always have this yeah. rift it's like can you guys figure out like you know they hand us this 10 year old that's just a mess because they never grew it upright like yeah where you know it, it i'm curious like we've never we seem to have that disconnect but but you're saying maybe it wasn't always like that um i i think the disconnect has always been there um and it's it's funny that you should mention that you know particularly about the nurserymen um i talked to uh to uh, to one nurseryman uh, one time uh, harry worsley from uxbridge nurseries and and yeah. we were talking about tree pruning and uh you know how when we get a tree um you know it's it, it, we we start pruning these things and and uh, we're talking about young trees and old trees i said you know yeah. young trees we prune them differently than old trees yeah. and he says yeah yeah we kind of do that too and uh i said well you know for me a young tree is one that comes out of the nursery and it's all pruned all wrong when it comes out of the nursery <laughs> he says really he says you know, when we have a young tree, it's like a whip. Yeah. That's our young tree. And by the time it's ready for sale, it's an old tree. So right. it goes out. And all we do is just prune for, for shape and, you know, nothing else. I said, yeah. well, when we get that young tree, that old tree that you have, we have it as a young tree and we start pruning it and for structure, for you know, for 50, 60, 70 years down the road. So it's a different perspective right. from, uh, from nurserymen and, and uh, uh, you know, even landscape contractors, when they plant trees, they plant yeah. them and they really don't see them ever again after they're planted. That's no. when we come in, we see them afterwards. Um, yes. And uh, I think that's where the disconnect is. Um, and I mean, we've done planting, but it's generally a one-off like it, it's 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 a client and we do some planting for them and then we look after the trees afterwards um a lot of a lot of landscape contractors don't do that mind you it's more and more that are doing it now that that plant stuff and then they they do they hire an arborist um yeah. and they yeah. have arborists doing doing some of the pruning for work for them um but yeah it's it's um we never did a lot of planting, just some planting, um, and and we leave the the major planting jobs to landscape contractors because generally they do it as part of a landscape project. Uh, you know, the client is spending half a million dollars and they're doing everything. So uh, and they don't they don't really care what it looks like in the end for for from a tree point of view like structurally and then we come in like you said then we we get to deal with all the aftermath of bad plantings yeah. you know it is interesting it seems like i you know i used to get a little more frustrated about it when i was younger i i find it more curious now but how 
you know, a landscape plan that, you know, to make a yard in a new development, a new house, you know, to look, to have the yard look full and so on. I can sort of understand why they, they fill the beds up and so on. Right. But yet if you think about it down the road it, and you, you know, will often an harvest might get in there, you know, 10 years later, it, it's, you know, it, it'll muddle along for quite a while, and then and a few of the shrubs will die or get choked out. And then there's the odd tree that actually finally gets established despite all odds, you know, and, and, uh, you could, you know, because people will say, well, if I planted trees, I guarantee you all the trees don't get planted properly the way you guys say, and look at all the trees that are alive, you know, so there's always that argument. But but what is it about, like, because if you took and planted a yard the way an arborist would plant it from the start, it would look pretty sparse in the beginning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get your spacing right. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And so we never, you know, I don't know that it's a problem that'll ever get solved because it it doesn't look it doesn't look like much at the start, you know, and it they grow into it, you know, and so on. But but there's certainly, yeah, it's interesting. It, yeah, it, it it's hard because you know the people they want to have a functional yard, um, and people don't realize that trees grow. Um, you know, they they grow up. And, and uh, you need to make room for the other stuff. If, if, if as a designer, uh, you let the people know, hey, we're, we're planting stuff now that we're going to take down in 10, 15 years time, people are going to say, well, why, why do I want to do that? And because I'm spending money on these things right now. Um, so it, it's, it, it's a difficult situation. So it, it kind of gets left. Um, I, I, one of the first jobs that I uh, worked on was a big, huge condominium in Mississauga. Uh, I was working for, for Lewis Arnold, uh, the Shady Lane Tree Care. And this was a, a fairly new design. Um, and they had so much plant material in all their planter boxes um, that we took out in the span of about four years, we took out almost 70% of the plant material. And over time, you didn't even notice that this plant material had left uh, because the other stuff had grown up so much that um, it, was, it was, uh, was difficult. But if you have to tell that to the people right beforehand when they plant it, they say, well, why do I want to spend all this money on this stuff? You know, they say, it's, yep. it's, you want to make it look good in the beginning. Exactly. Yes. And, and it makes sense, you know, and I think it's, it, maybe it's just something that we have to uh, learn to live with or accept, I suppose. I, yeah. I, I, there's something that just popped into my mind when we were talking about this, Rudin. I don't know if you remember this in your involvement with ISA, but when I think I was on test committee or on certification board, do you remember when there was an initiative to come up with an ISA certified tree? An ISA certified, sorry, what, you're, you're breaking up there. Oh, sorry. An ISA certified tree. An ISA certified tree. Yes. No, I, I don't remember that. Sorry. Yeah, there was an initiative where they talked about coming up with an ISA certified tree. And, and basically, the, a nursery could apply. And if they followed certain pruning and growing principles their tree could be designated as certified by ISA as a, as a quality structure tree 
that 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 won't be root bound, that was grown in the okay. field properly, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't wasn't headed incorrectly, that had that would had good structure, and it yeah. absolutely bombed. Like the nursery industry basically, you know, put their fingers in the air real <laughs> real quick and said, "You guys can just take your stuff and shove it." Yeah, but, you know, because I find it fascinating, you know, because. The heading of trees, you know, basically those what we are calling young trees, or they call semi-old trees. I mean, they top the trees. I mean, to, they top the trees to get them to bush out. I mean, that's yes. and you know, I think about something like a silver maple or even even lindens. You know, the tilias out there. I can't help but think if they hadn't been headed the first ten years of their life, would the inclusions be less of a problem? Yeah, I, 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 you know, I grew up in Europe, and and uh, Europeans have a much different uh, way of thinking about pruning trees than what we do here in North America. Um, you know, pollarding and and topping is is quite a a very common practice over there, and trees live with that for a long, long time. Uh, and coppicing trees. Um, I mean, some of these trees are four or five hundred years old, and they can withstand all that stuff. So oh, yeah. I, I see where you're coming from, but at the other end, um, you have to realize that these trees are very young when they're in the nursery. Um, you know, yeah. by the time they come out of the nursery, they're what maybe seven to ten years old. Yeah. Um, trees gonna live fifty, sixty, seventy, hundred years. Um, and, and those little wounds, they're going to heal over and yeah, they're going to be inclusions, but it's, it's so small that in, in the life of the tree, I don't think it's going to make any difference for the tree itself. Well, well, and I think those trees like that you're talking about that, that, that are pollarded properly. One of the things about it is they are done, you know, they're pruned annually you know like yes. you got 700 year old pollards that it's not like they wait every 10 years they go wallop them off right they do it every year and i yeah. think that that frequency is what makes the difference too you know there's a there's an attention to detail like you think like you know i'm always fascinated when i go train over there and you know what i was the last time i was in oglo the 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 guy that was you know kind of helping me out and driving me around he was the current president of, of the norway chapter at the time roger and they had the contract, his company had the contract to do all the boulevard pollards. Mm-hmm. You know, so they had they had a window of time because they had to do it before bud break. And they had to prune off all the sucker growth, all the young growth, all, yeah. all the pollards <laughs> in Oslo. Like, I mean, basically it's just snippety, snip, snip, snip. But they had a yeah. lot. And he said, we're, we only got another month left and we got a month and a half to go. And, you know, <laughs> but it, I mean, what a different concept, you know, that. It's an annual event, you know, and those those trees were easily a hundred years old already. Oh know? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and but that's it's very common over there, not so much yeah, over yeah. here. Um, yeah. But to getting getting back to the small trees, um, I, you know, it, it's it's the difference between getting a, a saleable product 
and yep. uh, what the nurseryman is looking for. And for us, we want to have good architecture and good structure in the tree uh, right. for longe- for longevity. And that's not what the nurseryman is looking for because there it would take them way too long to grow a tree and make a dollar off of that. Right. So, uh, but ultimately in the life of a tree, and that's just my personal opinion, um, I, I don't think uh, it's going to make a huge difference for the tree itself in the long run, you know, and people will argue with me about that, but that's what I think. <laughs> no, I agree. I, I think, I think the biggest problem I see with trees as an arborist is, is the wrong tree in the wrong spot. You know, yes, and I think that's one of the things that Dr. Shigo really pointed out. Get, but often gets ignored, right? Like trees will tolerate a lot, a lot. Yes, you know they yes. tolerate way more than humans will, and they have a longer time span to come to fruition and mature. And but really, it's you know when you start to see where I see the biggest problem is it's just the wrong tree in the wrong spot. You know, you can't have a Douglas fir that genetically could get. 250 feet tall with 60 foot of circumference right next to your house. <laughs> you know, you just eventually yeah. something's going to give, right? Yes. You yeah. Um, yeah. Or you can't have, you know, the, the red oak that genetically could get 95 to 110 feet tall under the 35 foot power line. Eventually yes. something has to give. And, yeah. You know, like I said, it, it, it's all important. I mean, if you want a tree to thrive to its optimum, yeah, you got to start the nursery and bring it all out. But I think you're right. Yeah. I think that, you know, we've been planting, I don't want to say subcaliber, but I mean, we've been planting trees coming from nurseries for a long time and some of them do just fine. You know, they, yeah, a, that's tree, right. a tree will tolerate way more than the arborist, you know? Yes, um, that's it, right. It just, well, well Dwayne mentioned planting, planting trees in, in new subdivisions and, and, uh, you know, that's probably one of the biggest, uh, biggest things for, for trees to be planted in that subsoil, because that's really what it is. It's subsoil with a little bit of soil, on top it's not really topsoil it's just soil that they put on top and and <laughs> that's where where trees really really suffer uh in in these subdivisions they could be there for 10 15 years and not grow at all um and then once once you as an arborist gets in there and you start doing some work uh, remediating some of the soil and doing some fertilizing that's when the trees finally start to grow um, when, when I moved into my house in Newmarket 35 years ago, it had a tiny little, uh, uh, red maple, native red maple, uh, Acer rubra, uh, rubrum, um, on the front lawn. And, uh, it had small leaves and it was very yellow. Uh, I said, wow, you know, I can bring this tree back to life. And, you know, as a good arborist, I started fertilizing it and, and, uh, I did some soil testing and lo and behold, the pH in the soil was like, 8.2. Um, well, I'm surprised <laughs> right. that I could even grow grass over there. Right. Um, and <laughs> I tried for a number of years to get this tree to grow. And it, it, it had been there. By the time I took it down, it had been there, I'd think, about 20 years, wow. uh, 20, 25 years. And it was only about 10 feet tall, and it was getting shorter every year. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's and that's. That's typical for for urban soils, you know. It's just horrible stuff for trees to grow in, and yeah. and uh, you know people say, "Oh, we stick it in the ground and it'll grow." Well, it doesn't quite work that way. It does not no, work it, that it, way. It, it, it is remarkable the difference that the, the ground will make or the soil, the earth, the you know what it's in. I had a, you know, the place we live now when we purchased it in '98, it 
you know, they had just done the usual thing. It was, it would, it was built in 97. So, you know, they had scraped everything down to clay and put a, put just enough soil down to grow grass. Yeah. And so, um, the top, the bottom of the property had no, it, it was, it just had weeds. It hadn't even been sodded. And before, you know, being an arborist, I, I had spied the neighbor's, uh, horse paddock and it had great, it'd been there for years and I could see it was full of really good, good soil. And I asked the guy if he would bring in, if he would bring, if I could buy some of his corral soil and, uh, sure. You know, how much do you need? And I said, well, I want two foot on this half of the back and three foot over here. And he was like, what the heck do you need that much soil for? Two, like you only need like a foot six inches. I said, no, I'm planting trees. I want a yard that can grow trees. So he said, okay, well, man, he beat a, like it took, he couldn't believe how much he hauled. And he, he, he used his truck and front end loader and he hauled it in there. And man, when the, when I seeded that, I just hand broadcasted seed down there at first. And when the rain would sit in the water, make water puddles, it was tea colored. It was such rich soil. Yeah. So I bought these poplars from a, a local nursery these tower poplars i wanted to have a couple and i planted one at the top of the property in this you know stripped down soil where the lawn was and i planted two down at the bottom on this other soil the first year the first winter one of the ones at the bottom both of them the deer stripped everything off them they ate them <laughs> and the one at the top was touched. So all I had were these little sticks and they were maybe they were, they were in pots. They were maybe three foot high. Okay. Well, the two at the bottom first year, there's nothing left on them. One, there's a butt at the top. That's it. And I'm thinking, great. And the one at the top is fine. Well, um, that spring they took off and the, I would say in five years, the two that were planted at the lower bottom of the property in the good soil, they were, 15 feet high and full and lush. Uh The one at the top hadn't changed size at all. It was still the size it was when I planted them. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sitting there watching every year wondering what the heck, but it didn't die. It would come out in leaf and it would grow like a little bit, but the ones at the bottom are just booming, you know? And I'm thinking, is that because the trees ate all the leaves off? And I'm thinking, now it's got to be. So after about five or six years, I took the one at the top and I dug it up and I moved it down on the bottom part of the property. And in five years, it was almost the same height as the others. Oh, yeah. And yeah. all it was was soil. It was yeah. absolutely the soil. And I was just astounded. And I couldn't believe the difference that good quality soil makes it's just i mean you you know what you learn about it you hear about it in school but it was just such a, a vivid example in real time you know how how much of it and what's what what struck me about what you said Ruth, is that the tree didn't die though no it, it, it struggles it, <laughs> and it and it stays alive it's like you think about and i remember T- shiga would always lament this the the poor thing you know it's suffering like we tie them up and we stake them and we tie them down and we give them just enough water and nutrients to, to live, but they can't actually do anything. They're in jail, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's, and, and you see that in, in, in all the, a lot of the new subdivisions, um, you know, and, and uh, yeah, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing um, how that, how soil is, is probably the biggest thing 
for tree care companies to, to look at when yeah. they're when they're uh, trying to uh, when they're when they're looking after trees when they're looking after properties. Um, you know, I was I always see old properties uh, like downtown Toronto, Forest Hill, Rosedale that have been there for you know seventy five, hundred years. The trees tend to do a lot better there. Uh, yeah. than anywhere else. Uh, even though they're old trees, um, you know, they're relatively easy to look after because they kind of look after themselves. That soil hardly was ever disturbed. I agree 100%. I, I've, I've noticed in my travels over the years that the older neighborhoods and, and the, the oldest neighborhood typically have, well, obviously the older trees, but the trees are actually healthier. And, and often I'll find in the real... Um, the economic suppressed older neighborhoods where there really isn't any, you know, you know, it's even there may, crime might even be high and it's, it's low rentals or even abandoned homes, you know, but where no maintenance is being done, you know, nobody's raking the leaves, nobody's spraying yeah. the grass, nobody's putting any chemicals down. They're not doing nothing, but maybe, you know, pissing on the ground once in a while yeah. because that's where they go. <laughs> like, I mean, it's literally, it's like it's derelict from a maintenance standpoint, but the trees are thriving. They do you really know, well. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking it isn't. I don't think it's the love they're getting from the people necessarily, but it's the it's the fact that nobody's messing with. They're not taking away the the leaves. The leaves are actually composting. You're actually getting a profile. There's 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 you know we're not messing with the natural process that a forest has. That's right. And uh, and that's you know that's. I, yeah, I've, I've said it for years, and I agree, Rude. It's the, probably the biggest challenge that urban trees face is the is the urbanization itself, and this this business of trying to make the forest and the meadows cohabit. Like you know, you want to have the the nice, perfect lawn under the beautiful tree. It just <laughs> it doesn't work. No, they don't occur in nature that way. It, right? They just it, don't. it never works. I, I remember one client I, I had in in uh, in Barrie, Ontario. Um, first time I met him, um, he had this great big, massive, massive crimson king maple on his front lawn. Beautiful tree. I mean, it's yeah. invasive as anything, and nothing really wants to grow under. Not even grass wants to grow under it. Yeah. Uh, at the best of times. And I get to this property and there's beautiful lush grass underneath this crimson king maple. Oh, what the heck is going on here? So I talked to him. I says, how do you, what's, what do you do to make this grass grow? He says, well, you know, that annual rye grass, it's spread out here every three weeks. I put new grass down. <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes yeah. it look so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, annual rye <laughs> grows in the shade and it germinates in seven or nine days. Yeah, and, uh, and, <laughs> and then the shade kills it off and, yeah. you know, I'll put yeah. some more down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that'll, so. that's one way to do it. You know, and, and even in that model, the the, the dying and the, the, the ryegrass dying even puts some nutrients back in the soil. So he might have had it figured out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but this tree was beautiful, and it's you know, crimson king is not one of my favorite trees. It's nice to look at, but that's about it. Um, you know, <laughs> but it was. I thought it was kind of funny, but yeah, soil is so important. And 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 you know, when when uh, when planting trees, and it's it's so important to do it right. Get a big hole in the ground, uh, bigger the better, and um, that doesn't always happen, especially when when uh, municipalities planting trees uh, in tiny little boulevards. Um, you know, and time is money. We. Could, 
plant, dig a little hole, put it in, and away we go. We get a two-year warranty out of the tree. Um, you know, the tree will live for two years in a pot, so <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be fine. Yeah. And then you end up looking after it afterwards. Um, well, you know, it's interesting. We, do, we, we call this the Human Forestry Podcast, and here we are talking about, you know, what the difference in a tree is to make it survive or thrive. And I can't help but think about some of our conversation where, you know, we have those that are, that are surviving in the industry of arboriculture and then those that are thriving in the industry yeah. of arboriculture. And I wonder, you know, how, how, how does, how can you relate the way trees and being part of the human forest, being in the, in the trees as your career and, and it being a passion for you, how has that enriched the soil of your life, would you say, Rude? Like, what, how has trees impacted you personally, not just professionally? <laughs> um, I mean, trees, trees are everywhere. I mean, if we didn't have any trees, then we live in a desert. Uh, Mike, mm-hmm. a desert is, is kind of nice to look at, too, but I don't think I'd want to live there. Um, the, the, the best, the biggest compliment that, that, um, that I ever got was from my youngest daughter. Um, she, uh, she went to a school of horticulture and, um, uh, you know, when she was in high school, she always would say, well, why do I need to know all this tree crap? You know, this, this shit that I need to know about trees. Well, yeah. when she went to the school of horticulture, um, she, uh, uh, because she, I think she still knows a lot more about trees than I do, uh, uh, right, even right now. And yeah. um, when she went to the school, she took our boriculture there, and I forget now who the teacher was, but the, the teacher would ask her, oh, is this correct? And uh, she, she would know as much as the teacher um, uh, about trees than anybody in our boriculture, which is, which is kind of cool. And she just, she just learned it from absorption. I mean, she started going with me when she was five years old uh, to yeah. the jobs and, and looking and listening. And, and uh, you know, every so often she would pick up a pruner and, and, and do some work. Uh, but, uh, that's, that's probably, that, that's, that, that's the biggest compliment I think, uh, that I've, I've had, uh, you know, uh, from, from trees. Um, yes, it's, which is, which is pretty cool. So, so you're saying the, the way it's, you know, the way your love and passion of trees has, has, you know, grow you know you you've it's connected with your daughter in a way that she you know even her knowledge has expanded because it started so much younger that it's even yeah. exceeded that of the teacher potentially yeah 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 that's right and then I mean, she she's not into trees she's into landscaping she doesn't want nothing to do with trees but she still knows you ask her something and she'll give you a, a, a good answer and she knows everything and she constantly asks me for advice and I said, you know all this stuff. You don't have to ask me. And uh, so, you know, I just want to double check. Well, you don't have to double check. You know this stuff. So, yeah. which is which is kind of cool. Yeah, I think anyone that 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 is there is in the family of arborists. You know, and I think that's why it's often quite a generational industry yeah. or business. You know, but but you know, my son. Well, you know, one of my sons is in the industry, and the other one is is a fish and wildlife officer. But even in that career, he's still, you know, he can't fully escape his roots 
treat, <laughs> you know, like, no, you know, like no pun intended. Little, you know, and it, you know, well, it is and it isn't intended, but the interesting thing, you know, like he get at, he gets asked to do pruning and removals for fellow officers, and you know, and, and uh, because they know that he has the skill, and he does, and he knows he just does know stuff about trees because yeah. he grew up in it, right? It just comes yeah. natural, yeah. yeah, and and and. You know, people that, that that have grown up in it, they make the best arborists. And, and um, you know, no, not, not that you have no good arborists that learn it as you go along, uh, but uh, they learn it from a from an early age. And and uh, trees, trees are will always be with them, their whole lives, their whole careers. So how how do you how how is how is I I, I like that statement. I'm just curious how you explain that to someone how are trees how do they stay with you how how are trees what do you mean when they're with you well i mean we live amongst trees uh i mean i consider sort of my little babies you know that I look after um right. you know they're 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 part of the family so you know you gotta look after them and uh it's it's kind of heartbreaking when you have one that doesn't make it and that that kind of you know yeah ultimately you have to put it down it's like a you know putting a pet down uh you know you have a it's a tough decision that you have to make um you know it's it's not always easy um but yeah i I think you know not that trees talk to you but well i think they sometimes they do like alex shago always said you have to touch a tree and i'm firm believer of of touching a tree and you can you can tell a lot about just touching a tree and uh, seeing how the tree feels you know, yeah. so, um, yeah, maybe, maybe it comes from the fact that I had to hug the tree so hard to climb up that, that, <laughs> that last 15, 20 feet. I don't know. The tree was always talking to me. Yeah, you can make it. You can make it. You can make it. So early in your career, you were literally imprinted with trees. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. And just, just for reference sake, when Dwayne and I do a podcast, all puns are intended. never unintentional puns no it's an interesting point because i was just recently a month or so ago is visiting property where my father grew up and my grandfather had planted a a number of trees around but about the only ones that still stand um are some horse chestnut trees um i guess some places they call them buckeyes um yeah but they're still there and he probably planted them it would have been the mid 30s to late 1930s and the trees still stand there now my daughter nice. and I walk down the road under the shade of these trees so there is a a connection you know through there from a tree that's not the same as like we have some you know we have some furniture from my my wife's side of the family that you know but it's not the a piece a chair isn't the same as a tree no because you know, the no, chair it's- didn't change there's no the chair's not going to die until i get tired of it and throw it out which is not looking. Um, <laughs> or burn it or burn it yeah <laughs> we didn't say that um but the tree itself and it's like and you know the, the tree is there along the side of the road or by the house and the house is different owners it's not in the family anymore so there's definitely something like you said that the trees they go with you but yet they there's a dichotomy in the fact that they don't go anywhere they stay right there they stay the right there yeah you know, so well i mean how peaceful is it to walk in a forest when you know just by yourself and listening to nature and just it it kind of de-stresses everybody just to Mm -hmm. to to go for that walk in the forest i used to do that a fair bit um you know when when stress got to me you just get out of the truck and between clients and go for a walk in the forest for a bit and it kind of calms you down 
um, and uh, brings you brings you back to reality. Yeah. You know, it absolutely does. You know, you know, and it's interesting. You mentioned about cutting trees down, and it's like it's a hard decision or like losing a part of the family. It, it absolutely is. A, I, I think it's a common theme with with a lot of arborists that that stay with it for a lot of years. You know, you 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 really don't want to cut it down. You know, like you, yeah. you'll. I don't know how many times I would talk a client out of cutting a tree down. It, it, would, it yeah. wasn't really, it was more what I wanted than what they wanted, but I couldn't help myself. And, and I remember one time being on a contract, we were doing a training course was at the university of Saskatchewan and there had been an expansion. They were expanding one of the buildings. And so there was this area on campus that had old mature trees that were going to be needed to be removed because of the expansion. And they were very nice trees. There was nothing wrong with them. And so the the grounds guy said, well, you guys may as well cut over here because these trees are going to, they're all slated for removal. Like in two weeks, they're all gone. Yeah. So you guys can cut them. And they, there was, they were perfect trees on campus, you know, like, (laughs) and I couldn't do it. I I, I just couldn't do it. I said, like, well, is there anywhere else? He's like, well, why wouldn't, these are perfect trees. So, well, that's the point. Like, you know, so some guy in a bulldozer ended up shoving them over, but I just couldn't fell them. Because yeah. I just, I, I didn't want to be the guy that did that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just didn't feel right. <laughs> no, like I knew yeah. they were going to be removed, but at the same time, it just, you know, yeah. I, well, it doesn't have to be my blade, you know, I, I don't want no. to be the executioner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just in case you yeah. get to the pearly gates and, and you know, your higher power is actually an oak tree. Like, oh, shit. yeah, there's a tree standing there waiting for, <laughs> like, waiting oh. for us. Oh, you guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. They just, they just point us right to the down escalator. Like, hey, you're yeah, there. I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> you belong where the firewood belongs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, so. it, it's, uh, it's been a great conversation. We, we, we're at, it's, it's interesting. We're always, we get to like, uh, about, 70 minutes it's just over an hour and it, it, it always yeah. seems to get to this we get we get a little esoteric it gets a little bit uh more on the softer side of things uh spiritual almost you know and we and 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 um i just want to thank you for your time and for the, the the wealth of knowledge you know when we had don blair on the show he he said this is a good thing you're doing you guys be said because when when one of us dies the library burns down yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah, and uh that's you know true. to get some of this you know history and and some of it documented in in audio format you know i think it, it's gonna be out there in posterity so thank you for for contributing to tree actions and for being such a a valuable tree in this human forest that we're all a part yeah. of well thank you for having me it was uh, was enjoyable thanks you're welcome yeah.